Welcome to the podcast of Tony Mayo, the business owner's executive coach. This podcast is the audio from our free weekly webinar, Tuesdays with Tony at 12. You can see the video, download the slides and other materials at tiny.cc slash TWTony. That's T-I-N-Y dot C-C slash T-W-T-O-N-Y, all lowercase. Title for today is the clearing for breakthrough. Okay. So those are two specialized terms and I should explain what they mean. Let's start with the second one of breakthrough. And the idea of well, how you can visualize a breakthrough, say if you have the classic X, Y axis and you've got time going across this way, and you've got some measurement along here, we tend to think of life as going along kind of like this. There are some dips and exceptional recoveries, but things are general. We have this trend line that we, you know, if we keep on working, doing the right things, we'll move on that trend. Uh, but a breakthrough is when there is suddenly this discontinuous jump, and then the trend line is operating from a different place. There's, there's some shift. And there's a number of things that can uh, cause this shift. One of my favorites is while we leave this axis as time, we change the value of this axis. We start measuring something differently. You know, a lot of people, and I was one of them, come out of school thinking the main axis is money. We're gonna use that as the measure of all merit. Uh, but if we find we start tracking different things, like, like you said, that the rejections are part of the process for getting a bigger and bigger stages, bigger and bigger sales. Uh, and some salespeople have breakthrough success when they realize that the more no's they get, the better they're gonna be progressing. So instead of counting the yeses and encouragement, they say, well, I know that one person in 10 is gonna say yes. Every time someone says no, I whittled away at that nine no's and just getting through there. Now it's just, a, it's a mental shift. We haven't altered the reality out there yet. But as you've probably experienced, when we, we alter the assumptions here, then we have greater power altering the reality out there. Uh, one, another interesting change in the axis is looking for uh, the laughter. Uh, there's good evidence that when people in groups are laughing, that they are comfortable enough together to get work done. Uh, if you're in a very quiet, solemn environment, you got to wonder, is there cooperation and creativity going on? Uh, and to me, laughter is a very powerful indicator of that. You may notice that when people in a work environment or some other productive situation like a volunteer committee, uh, most of the time when people laugh, it's not funny. It's not a joke. There's nothing humorous going on. Uh, it, it seems that all mammals laugh. Uh, certainly the primates have some repetitive sounds like that that look on the uh, spectrogram just like laughter. Uh, and I remember hearing some researchers who were looking at a young lab rats and they seemed to play with each other. They had certain ritual games and they'd interact uh, with things. Uh, but they said, gee, all other uh, mammals, when they interact this way, there's some sound like laughter and they weren't hearing it. And finally it dawned on someone that most rat sounds are very high frequency, high pitched, even beyond our range of hearing. So they set up a microphone and brought it down uh, a few octaves to, to our range. And sure enough, these little rats were giggling when they were interacting. <laughs> 
So Tony Mayo says that uh, laughter in groups isn't necessarily a measure of humor. Uh, it's, it's an indicator that we're close enough to harm each other, but we're laughing so we're safe. <laughs> so uh, little rats and dogs and, uh, and cats can wrestle and bite, but when they're making this laughter uh, involuntary sound, we know, okay, this is, this is play fighting, this is play biting. And when we're disagreeing with other people's ideas or bringing up our own precious thoughts that we don't want to have shot down, if we're getting some laughter, we get that feeling of safety. So that's another axis people might change to have a breakthrough in their results. I'm not saying that the, the laughter or the rejections uh, are our ultimate goal. It just can be a more useful measure to give us the freedom to take the actions that will get us closer to the results that we want. Makes sense so far? Makes sense, yes. So that's the idea of, of the breakthrough, that we're not just trying to improve. We're not just trying to make the, the increase a little bit steeper or have a bit of a bump. It's just let's break through to a higher level and stay there and operate from there. Okay. I had a client a few years ago with a, a business partner. And often when he got off the call, the partner would say, well, what did you learn with your coach? Because his partner's idea of a coach was more of a, a consultant or a subject matter expert. He wanted tips and techniques and little insights, but I didn't really know anything about their industry. Uh, and so he had trouble justifying to his partner what he was doing with a coach. About seven, eight months in, and this seems typical, I always tell my clients don't expect a, a breakthrough until you get to the six to 12 month mark. He came and said, I figured it out. I know what it is we're doing. He says, I've noticed that when I come into the office now, I see different things. So I take different actions. He says, because of the coaching, I'm living in a different world. Hmm. That's the idea of a breakthrough. Uh, the physical circumstances may be the same, but you notice different things. So, and therefore you can take different actions. And often those actions are conversations. So that's the idea of breaking through. We move along this way and we're sort of stuck on this trajectory. How do we break out of that? Well, if you keep playing the same game, you can't break out of it. I'll give you another example from uh, one of the people who originated coaching as we know it today. Werner Earhart created EST and that turned into Landmark Education and that spawned a lot of other uh, training programs over the last 40 years. As part of his study of how coaching worked in other domains outside of self-actualization, he learned to uh, drive uh, race cars. I forgot what kind of cars it was, but it was a, where he could have a hobby. And he uh, had the resources and the time where he bought the equipment. He got some people to teach him how to drive. And after a while of practicing and competing, he found that he was pretty consistently in the top seven or eight people among the finishers. But he noticed there was another smaller group that was always placing first, second, maybe third. When these guys showed up, they win, placed, or showed. And he was in this group that was always, sometimes they'd get first or second, but mostly they were in the second set of leads. So he began to uh, interview these people, or as he admitted, interrogate them. What's going on? in their heads or their procedure, what is it that's different about them? And what he noticed is when you first learn to drive one of these fast cars, 
pretty much operating on terror, trying to stay alive. And then once you get past the terror, what you're doing is becoming expert at controlling this huge piece of steel that's hurtling along at 150 to 200 miles an hour around a track. And you're trying to, to go as fast as you can around that track. And that's a pretty intense activity and only a few dozen people got good enough at it to be in that second group of people. But when he talked to the folks who were consistently coming in first, second, third, he noticed they were playing an entirely different game. And this idea of playing a different game is another core coaching concept. It says for these people, they had handled driving a fast car. They were comfortable going around a track at 200 miles an hour. They weren't operating at 200 miles an hour anymore. They were concerned about the one or two mile an hour difference between them and the car they wanted to get around. They were as relaxed as they were sitting on their sofa at home, just taking these little tiny adjustments to take advantage of the draft from this car, to notice this person comes into his turns a tiny bit later so he could get around them on that point. Wow. They were playing a slow motion game of precision instead of a high speed game of survival. And when he started thinking of it that way, just trying to get ahead of one other car, getting around more, one more competitor, he began to get into that group of the one, twos, and threes. I noticed his skills didn't change. He didn't buy a better car. He didn't uh, learn some new uh, driving technique. He just looked at the given circumstances through a different lens or a different filter, and that became a breakthrough. So I, I introduced a few ideas there. Yeah. Uh, one is this idea of taking what we're trying to accomplish and looking at it as a game. Now, that doesn't mean to trivialize it or make it uh, into a pointless uh, diversion. Mm -hmm. It's just to notice that in a game, there are certain rules that you play by. And some outcomes are preferred to other outcomes. Plus, there are people trying to thwart you in that game. Yeah. They want to win the game too. And you can see that applies to a lot of things in life. Uh, if we don't get it, someone else will. And there are certain rules and boundaries. And one of the first places to look at our games in life, whether they're sales, delivering a speech, creating a product, hiring employees, motivating our staff, is to say, well, are these rules that I'm operating within actually the rules? Maybe there's something else to do. Maybe that's uh, not the proper game. So I'm just, if the rule is, as so many uh, business owners think, for them to be, have all the answers, to be in total control, to make every important decision, which is a pretty common set of rules for running a business, that tightly restricts their game. But if the game becomes, how do I make this the kind of place where people invite their friends to come work? Mm. Where they all want to be growing and getting better. That's a different game. How do you, how do you instigate that? There's one client I was so proud of because for several of our meetings over a period of a couple of months, he was just crowing about one of his key executives, one of the six people that was always at the table when they make their big decisions. I sat down and met with him. I said, you know, what's been going on? What's new? He said, well, I let Vivian go. I had to fire her. Really? You, you were in love with her results? He says, yeah, she was very good at her job. But it kept emerging in our executive meetings that she wasn't interested in any uh, personal growth opportunities. She didn't want to take any courses. She didn't want to try any new tasks. She didn't want to attempt anything that wasn't 
clearly a skill that she had already established. And he said, personal growth is one of our fundamental values. Mm. I can't have an executive who isn't expressing our fundamental values. You see, that's a different game. If the game is to put together a team that believes in and acts on our fundamental values, then someone who is just producing great results within their narrow sphere, that's not enough. Uh, and I say I'm proud of him because it, it was hard. I mean, he spent a long time recruiting for that position. He's invested in her. But then he realized, no, I've got to get someone who not only does good work, but expresses our values. Different game. Okay. Uh, one nice thing about calling it a game is you get to define it. You, you get to uh, create new rules, play it a different way, try things out. It becomes a little less grim and mm -hmm. serious. All right, so let me see what uh, questions have arisen so, so far, Jane. When you think of uh, games, breakthroughs, and so on, what comes up for you? I like the idea of the game. Yeah, that, that's resonating with me, mm -hmm. seeing as a game. Um, and definitely about the core values. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. I'm seeing that, um, even though some of you are producing, but if they're not matching the values of the, of the company, it's not the right fit. Yeah. So yes. got to think through the values of our company. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. About mm -hmm. that. All right. So let me show you a bit of an illustration on uh, breakthrough. Cool. And I hope you're seeing a picture of a building right now. I do. All right. And. This is the kind of event that seems sudden, dramatic. One of these planned implosion demolition. I'm cheering. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, let's see, 26 seconds? Yes. Now there's going to be some cleanup afterwards. But the idea is you can you can tear down this huge building in half a minute. And I'm sure that when people first came up with the idea of using implosion as a way to get rid of buildings, that was a breakthrough. Mm -hmm. and, but what people often don't realize is there's a lot of work and preparation that goes into these implosions. People study the building very carefully. They'll, they'll get the original plans. If they can, they'll talk to the engineers who designed the buildings and they'll find out where they need to place these charges to have this happen. And often they'll go in and they'll, they'll break down part of the bearing walls or cut holes in the floor so the air can come through uh, as everything collapses. It takes uh, weeks of research and days and days of planting the explosives at different places that will go off in a particular sequence so that it falls where they want it to fall. So there is, has to be this uh, preparation, what I call a clearing that's appropriate to a breakthrough. It doesn't just happen. That's why I uh, tell new clients that don't expect dramatic shifts in their results for six months or more because we're creating that clearing. And the clearing is the, is the other idea that I want to talk about today. And that is, 
the idea that you can prepare a space so that what you want to have happen is more likely to happen. Not only more likely, but it becomes easier, even uh, automatic and self-sustaining. One uh, example that came to me about this was when I was uh, on vacation with my family. And, and like you, probably you've had some of your key insights and creativity when you're not working, yeah. uh, when you're out for a walk, often in nature, and that's uh, a powerful tool as well. Uh, so we're in Shenandoah National Park. That's about an hour west of here in Virginia. And this is an eastern park. It's not one of those western parks where the federal government just happened to have title to a huge expanse of, of natural beauty and decide to put a fence around it and call it a park. Now, Shenandoah had to be reclaimed from human settlement. So they started buying up the, the, the farms and the, the lumber uh, stands and letting it go back to being a forest. So I was with the family on a ranger walk in one part of Shenandoah National Park called Big Meadows. And as the ranger is taking us through this area, it's about 80 acres of uh, open land in the forest, saying that as far as they can tell, Big Meadows has been uh, a meadow for about a millennium. Hmm. So I raised my hand. I said, well, you've already told us that the rest of the park is mostly farmland that has returned to forest. So what is it about this particular set of 80 acres that keeps it a meadow? Is there some kind of geology, a microclimate? Is there something about the soil? She said, well, we mow it twice a year. <laughs> okay, now that covers the most recent 50 years. What about the 950 years before that? And she said, well, that's why this area was so important for the Native Americans several times a year, they would burn this part of the forest. Because if you clear part of a forest, uh, then the deer will come out of the woods to eat the, the grass and the young shoots. And then you can you know, harvest what you want yeah. more easily. So consider this. You're the, the head of a Stone Age tribe and you've got a very clear goal of take care of your, keep your tribe alive. And to do that, you need the deer for, for meat and hides and bones for tools and all the things that people do uh, with deer. Uh, and you've got this uh, two alternatives. You live in a forest that's filled with deer. That's good, so you have a ready supply. You've got clients, this tribe that's trying to stay alive. And you could get very clever and stealthy and learn to track the deer through the mm -hmm. forest and try to get close enough to one to, you know, uh, harvest it. Or you can get your tribe together and clear part of the forest and create an environment that's attractive to the deer. So that the deer come out to where you are and you can take care of them. Hmm. And both strategies could work. So you have to ask your question is, you know, what kind of life do you want to live? Do you want to be chasing and dragging? No. Or clearing <laughs> and harvesting? Yes. And now these Native Americans chose clearing and harvesting, and so did a lot of Europeans. In fact, when they would build a, a formal garden on these estates and manors, they would often have a clear area so the deer could come out to be looked at and admired. 
And that's where the, uh, you know, this uh, brand comes from of, I don't know, they sell this water up your way? No, I've never the seen that. Coast of the United States, it's, it's called the uh, Deer Park brand. They got this handsome little deer on there. In a formal garden, that area was called a deer park. So <laughs> this is the idea. You know, just as a clearing in a forest influenced the behavior of the deer, the clearing your company is, the clearing you as a person are, influences the behavior of people. Yeah. And it's kind of obvious when I point it out, that's often the case with these coaching distinctions. Once you hear, you say, oh, yeah, that, that is the way. Yeah. yeah. There are certain people, certain places, conversations that encourage specific, predictable behaviors. And we, we encounter these clearings all the time. You know, you've probably had this experience. You walk into the kitchen to get something out of the junk drawer, or pair of pliers, and you find yourself in the refrigerator. <laughs> Wait a minute, I, I, I didn't come in here. But the kitchen is the clearing for opening the refrigerator to eat. Yes. That's what the kitchen is for. Yeah. And you know, when you talk to a young child, you get down and you make big eyes and you move your hands around, generally act like an idiot. <laughs> communicating with child, that's a clearing to bring out certain things. And, and one of my goals in life is to be able to take out my phone and actually do the thing I took my phone out to do. <laughs> and then put it away. <laughs> Instead of whatever else it's, it's a clearing for. So these clearings are all around us, but we don't often think about how to design these clearings into our own life. But if you're alert, you can notice the poles of the various ones and choose to do something different. Huh? You see that. So did you notice some of the clearings in your life maybe that are pulling you towards things you don't want to be doing? Yes, <laughs> I would say so, I would say so, yes. Yeah. Uh, do you have a home office, Jane? Uh, I have, not really, no. Um, okay. I have like, like the, my, my kitchen table. Ah. <laughs> so you've got, to, you've got to be very conscious that when you're at the kitchen table, you're not there for the uh, meal and family socializing reason, you're there for the- I'm there for work, yeah. Well, yeah. Do you have any signals or clues for doing that? You know, some people, they have a particular coffee cup. So, okay, I now do. Right. What do yeah. you I have, a, I have a teapot. Yeah, I, I make myself a pot of tea and a mug and put it to the side, computer, and I get to work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these, yeah. these rituals and, and, and talismans, you know, yeah. it might seem silly, but that's the way we operate. We look at a lot of clues for how we behave. Mm -hmm. In mm -hmm. fact, yeah. It's a whole nother conversation, but we tend to think of ourselves as a stable being with a fixed personality. But that's mostly because our environment is pretty stale, uh, pretty stable mm -hmm. and fairly fixed. Now you put people in a different environment, you're gonna get very different behaviors to the extreme of the, the Milgram prison ex experiment where he told some students that they were prisoners and some students that they were guards and they immediately became antagonistic. Yeah. The guards yeah. became vicious and the prisoners became rebellious. Yeah. Uh, there's something about the environment that pulls this force. So in a nutshell, you know, think about it. Is a child more likely to be creative uh, to take an initiative while on the floor playing with a bunch of Legos or while sitting in a cubicle being told, be creative, build something for me. <laughs> yeah, a lot of businesses, I like that. Yeah. We need to squeeze a lot of uh, the the creativity out of the clearing that our offices are.
So there's that opportunity that whenever you see a, a, any kind of water bottle, doesn't have to be this brand, to say, well, there's a clearing being created. Am I doing it consciously? Choosing it. And it could even be a clearing for breakthrough, for knocking down some of the barriers, for changing some of our measurements. And that's where we can start getting results that were discontinuous, unpredictable, okay. and maybe the key to what we want. And it's the clearing, the consciously choosing and designing of the clearings that makes it sustainable. So it's not just that one-off odd event that we're not quite sure you know, why it was that way, how to have it happen okay. again. Okay. Now next time on Tuesday, we'll talk about some of the clearings that I have found are a conducive to big breakthroughs. But for now, it's just the idea of if we notice we're doing a behavior that works for us on a consistent basis, well, what is it that's going on? Is it the people I'm interacting with? Is it the way I'm using my language? Is it something about the physical environment? And on the other hand, if there's some behaviors that are uh, in our way that are distracting, dissipating our energy, pushing us in the wrong direction, what can we change about that? Okay. Hmm? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Questions, ideas about that? No, Thanks. no. And it's, it's interesting. This is kind of timely um, <laughs> for this. As you're talking, I'm like, oh boy, this is so timely. Um, and it's actually helping me make a better decision for sure. Yeah, I have one of my instructors here in the studio um, uh, sent me a text last night at midnight asking if I was still awake, which I, of course I wasn't, I was sleeping. And um, she, um, I she contacted me this morning in a big state of, big state of frenzy and chaos. And uh, she had a fight with her husband and wanted to sleep on my couch. Oh my. And um, just this whole whirliness and chaos. And I don't, I don't like being around chaos because I find it just, it's, it's that, it's that pulls me to a direction I don't want to be direct going to. Yeah. And um, anyway, so the conversation um, didn't go the way I had hoped because she was very emotional and she ended up hanging up on me. Mm. Yeah, you didn't want to go into to her world of chaos. No, no. And she was like, you're being very cold and um, disconnected. Is how she's like, I, and I was like, I just don't want to get involved in this craziness that you're creating. Yeah, but that's one of the things people do is, uh, even if their life isn't working by their own standards, they, they like to pull people into it for reassurance that it has to be that way. Yes. Things that these clearings reinforce themselves with. And it's interesting, as you were talking about this, I'm thinking, well, the, the usual response to this is establish better boundaries, right? Yeah. Boundaries and clearings go together, I guess. I think, and that's just it, and that's just it, yeah. So, and that's why in the morning when I saw the text, I was like, what have I done to make her think that it was okay to text me at midnight to see if I was still awake, if I can sleep on your couch? Good for you. That's yeah. the way to look at it. Because that's, what, what, that's the opposite of what 99.9% .9 of people would do, right? Yes. What's wrong with her that she would do this? Yeah. I'm, I'm more right now. Yeah. Right? I'm more right now going, okay, what have, you, what have I've done? What have I created? What relationship have I created with this person? What boundaries have I not set to make this happen? So, yes, yeah, so that's why this is like, this is really timely. <laughs> so are you going to revisit that and, and uh, work on the relationship with her? And 
I am. I am. Um, but I'm going to do it when she's in a calmer state. Because mm -hmm. right now I won't get the results that I want to have. Right. And so I'm just going to let her calm down and then connect with her um, at a later date and say, we, let's talk. Let's have a discussion. And I'll first say I'm taking responsibility for the dynamics of this relationship. Because I think I've given... Um, there's friendship and then there's employee employer relationship and they've blurred. Mm. So. so, so what do you think you, you could do or stop doing to have that not occur so often? I have to, um, I have to decide what kind of, what kind of relationship I want to have first. I think I need to decide is this, do you want this as a friendship relationship or do you want it to be as an employee employee relationship? Cause I don't mm -hmm. think they can be both. I am leaning more towards the employee and employer relationship because I find that the friendship doesn't support me well through everyday life. Mm -hmm. I get pulled into the drama, pulled into the right. drama, and that's, I, that doesn't work well with me. But you want to be a good friend and listen. But I'm not, um, I'm not, uh, what's the word for it? Um, a therapist would be a, better path mm -hmm. than me for that because i'm not a therapist so i'm not skilled yeah. so um i want to bring it back to employee and employer relationship yeah or just have the boundaries around the friendship i mean even a friend yeah. could say yeah it's not in your interest for me to try to be your therapist yes or to or to hold the net every time something goes wrong ha huh. yes that's really yeah. interesting yeah and so, you know, I'll, I'll end the recording. Before oh, yeah, no worries. No worries. So we're not uh, posting uh, your conversation about it. Oh, she wouldn't. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, that's interesting, that idea of uh, boundaries with the uh, with clearing and attracting certain things. Yeah. But I think it, not only do you attract some things, but that's, that could crowd out some others. And perhaps if the clearing is you're attracting employees who are self-sufficient who are that's what uh, I want. have more stable personal lives yes that's what i would like because everybody else is like that yeah all my other staff everyone's consistent stable that's why i was thinking going how did this happen i have somebody who's chaotic um because i don't look for that i look did, for did stability. you get some early clues that she might be a, a more needy or less stable um no this was she's been with me for a while so, but originally she was very stable. So mm -hmm. she's, she's going through, a, they're going, going through a lot, but yeah, yeah. But that's what I, I want to attract that stability and that, um, because then there's safety and stability, not so much chaos when it comes to business. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, and especially as you're trying to branch out into other things, you want your business to be more stable and predictable. So that that's just that. Yeah, that's just it, for sure, for sure. So, no, this was very timely. Thank you very much. All right. Well, thanks for being with me. Thank you. Uh, I look cool. forward to talking to you again soon. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, take care. Goodbye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. More coaching like this is available at TonyMayo.com. That URL is T-O-N-Y-M-A-Y-O dot com. We appreciate your comments, suggestions for future topics, and most of all, stories of how you applied the coaching. Our email address is podcast at 
mayogenuine.com. This podcast is the property of executive coach Tony Mayo, all rights reserved worldwide. <laughs>